harmony and peace and the sun will once again rise up in the east. Welcome to Ink Pulp Audio. Today we're going to get down with Dave Marquez. And uh, Dave hit me on Twitter when he discovered the show. and We had never met and he really enjoyed it. But uh, if I'm remembering correctly, Dave, you you loved the mob story at the intro, and and I promised there was more, so I got another one for you. This was probably uh, let's say three to four years ago, New York Comic Con. I always went in early. My whole family being from New York, I, I went in always to spend a day with my grandmother and then see some friends and blah, blah, blah. So this particular trip, I, I went in early and I got in. I went out to Queens to see my grandmother who would always say, where do you want to go eat? And the, the, the family question that grandma always proposed was, do you want to go to Peter Luger's? Which... I hope everyone listening knows what the hell Peter Luger's is. If you don't fucking find out. Uh, or the park side. And the park side, I'm guessing you don't know what that is. I always chose the park side. I love Peter Luger's. It's a great steakhouse. But the park side in Corona, Queens is the absolute best Italian restaurant I've ever been to in my life and will ever go to. It's just fucking amazing and delicious. And it's a real, it's a, it's a beautiful restaurant, and it's in the middle of Corona, right, right across from the Boche Ball arena there. So it's a, it's a big mob run area. And you know, it's the type of restaurant you walk in, and there's pictures of Pesci and De Niro who've all been there. It's, it's, it's quality and, and it's just delicious. And the same fucking dude, um, I, I don't know if he's a manager or what, but uh, he's always there at the at the uh, when you check in with the hostess. It's the same guy my whole fucking life. This guy, uh, he's always been there. So, uh, so I say the Parkside. I I, I want to go to the Parkside. Um, so that's where we go. And my cousins always chose Peter Luger's. I think I'm the only one who always chose the Parkside. And and there's a also there's another Italian place called Stella's, which some would say is equally as good. My wife likes it better. I like Parkside better. They're both great, but Parkside's my joint. So I chose there. Now my cousin was gonna coming in from the city to meet us, and. We got there early, and I'd been traveling all day, and this is around the time whenever I got on the plane, I, I might have might have had a little Xanax and a nice double bourbon, <laughs> so I, I just numbed my fucking mind uh, and just crashed and, and would sleep the flight. Now, New York's a short flight. In California, it makes sense. You know, I remember one year. Mark Brooks and I were on the same flight, and we switched seats, and we ended up having mojitos the whole ride out and having a good time. But, uh, yeah, so I, I was getting tired, and I was low energy. I was hungry, so we get there early, and uh, 
My grandma likes to have a drink, so I'm like, let's let's just go to the bar and wait for Deb. So I get an espresso, all right, and then at the bar, and this this bar is like the bar hangout is where the mob mob guys hang out. But we're here early, and it's 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 a week night, so I don't think there's anything going on. So we get there, and and uh, we sit at a table in the bar area. But sitting at the bar is this washed up blonde Howard Beach mob trophy wife from back in the day looking chick next to her is a is who I assume to be her dude um dressed okay not not fancy no silk suits uh, denim, a decent shirt, decent shoes, but a really nice watch and a really, really spanking pinky ring. And uh, he's kind of trim, uh, but you can see his face has had a life. And and then the third guy uh, is a bigger guy. This guy's in, in like a leather jacket with some slacks and... The guy with the pinky ring is really kind of intimidating looking. And then there's the bartender. And they got all this business going on back and forth. There's a room upstairs, which I've been to a couple times, uh, like a dining room. But mainly we sit downstairs. Uh, so they keep going up and down, up and down. And, and both the guys are upstairs, and it's just the lady at the bar. And she's really looking at me. And I'm just talking to my grandmother hanging out. And and I hear, are you somebody famous? And and I look around, and I, as I'm saying no, my grandmother's saying yes, and I'm like, no, no, I'm 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 not famous. You you would have no idea who I am. My grandmother, being proud and bless her, uh, starts bragging about I'm a comic book artist working for Marvel and blah 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 blah. And this lady just keeps going on. Well, you look like you should be famous. You have a look about you. And she's just going on and on. And, and then the, uh, the big guy comes down, the less intimidating looking guy. And she goes, this guy's a famous artist. And I'm not a famous artist. And I'm trying to downplay it. But it's hard. My grandmother's proud. Like I've said before, my whole life, the the person who supported me most in in wanting to to do art and pursue an art career was my grandmother so she was very proud so uh he he goes oh yeah like what like what do you, I say I draw comic books now this guy now lights up I got a collection in my basement and he starts asking what would this be worth what would this be worth and I'm like, I, I really, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a collector. I, I just, I draw. And at this time, the intimidating guy comes down. And, and the, the heavier guy, and I'm not going to use the names, the real names here, because that might get a little weird. So we're going to call the heavier guy Cheech in honor of the Godfather. Uh, goes, this guy's a famous comic book artist. 
And the intimidating guy goes, oh, yeah. And they start talking. He pulls his chair over to mine and my grandmother's table and starts talking. Now, my grandmother grew up around this and, and is not intimidated at all. And and I know when you watch the movies and you see all the all, all the gangster stuff, it's very romantic. But when you really truly get in front of one of these guys, it, it's you just want to be as far away from this as possible. So we're having a, a light conversation, and my grandmother's a pistol. She doesn't she, she speaks her mind and she doesn't back down. And so we're having the conversation and she's bragging on me and he's asking questions. It's a very fine conversation. There's nothing terrible going on. And he goes, I can see your grandmother really loves you. That's special. And I'm like, yeah, I know. She's a, she's great. And, uh, and he goes, no. And he puts his pinky to his eye, like right below his eye. And he looks at me dead in the eyes. He goes, I can see right into people. I know if they're good or not. And as he's doing this, I'm I'm not looking him in the eye. I'm just looking at this giant watch. And he looks down at the watch because he can see that's where I'm looking. It's like, oh, you like my watch? Because I got a room full of these. They call me. Now I'm going to change his name here. Um, So let's call him Vinny. Vinny the collector. I collect things like this watch and this ring. And he's pointing to the pinky ring. And uh, and uh, so then my grandmother goes, do you collect comic books? <laughs> uh, no, he didn't. But the, the he knew about it. He knew a little bit about it. And the heavier guy did. He, he had a basement full of them. Um, which I, I don't think were his originally. I wonder how he got those. So, uh, you know, and, and, and the blonde at the bar the whole time is like, he's a famous artist. And we have this conversation and it's really fine and there's nothing terrible happening or being said, but I just, I really just want to leave. I want to get away from this motherfucker. Um, they, they were filming, what they were doing there was filming a pilot Um kind of like Mob Wives. Mob Wives was already out of what maybe it was Mob Wives, I don't know, but they were filming upstairs um in the park side something to do with a reality series. And uh so uh you know, I say nice meeting you. Vinny the collector, Cheech and Blonde on the bar. We go, we have a very nice dinner. My cousin shows up. Great meal. Great meal. Um, the, uh, oh, oh, the, the, the Cheech, the heavier guy, you know, he starts trying to say, you know, I got a cigar company. We could use some artwork for it. And uh, he's talking to me and, yeah, I'm not going to get into bed with you, dude. So i'm just being nice i don't have cards on me nothing just nice 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 get away have a great meal have a ton of wine have a great night get back to my grandmother's just pass out now the next day the con was still a couple days off or or another day away the next day i'm going into the city 
I'm checking into my hotel, but I'm going out to Brooklyn. I'm going out to see Sean Murphy. Now, Sean at the time had an art dealer who he hooked me up with. So I was newly signed to this art dealer. Now, this art dealer's father owns a restaurant. He's an Italian guy who has an Italian restaurant in, uh, 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 I, I think it was Williamsburg or near Williamsburg. Uh, in Brooklyn, which is Sean was nowhere near there. So uh, I get to Sean's. We go to the uh, to the bar and we start drinking near his place. Our art dealer shows up there, and we're waiting for Sean's wife. And uh, we all hop in the car and drive out to Williamsburg to go to his dad's restaurant. And it's it's a it's a beautiful little restaurant. I forget what it's called. I had the card around here somewhere. I don't know where it went. Uh, delicious. I had the best del and a lamb ragu. It was just outstanding. The del was rolled up. There's two of them, rolled up in like a like a like a pinwheel, like a giant piece of what's that fucking bubble gum, um, bubble tape. But it was just, and it was about an inch an inch tall, just del with this lamb ragu. Fucking amazing. So we're there, and, and I'm getting, lo- I'm starving. We've been drinking all day, and, and I, I haven't had anything to eat, so I'm getting drunk way too fast. So uh, I uh, I have some water. I'm just trying to down water, down water, down water until I can get some food in me to level me out a bit. And I got to piss. So I get up, I go to the bathroom, I come out and I hear, ho ho, it's Spider-Man. I look over at the bar and it's Cheech from the previous night. Now, this is a huge coincidence because the previous night I was in Corona, Queens at a mob Italian joint. And tonight I'm in Williamsburg. And right before I went to the bathroom, I'd found out that there might have been some mob investors in this restaurant and that they might tend to hang out there a little bit too. So this same guy was doing business in Queens the previous night, is now in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And while to people not from New York, it all sounds like New York, this is a pretty good distance. Uh, And and it's... it's rare that, that you'd bump into someone in Queens. and then, I mean, they're worlds apart. They really are worlds apart. And uh, I'm just, I, I get, I light up because it's, it's like, whoa, what, is the, what are the chances of this fucking happening? So I go over there and he is, uh, he's chatting me up to all of his buddies, none of whom I saw the night before. And he's got a new girl with him tonight. And he's making her put my info in her phone so he can get in touch with me about his cigar company that he wants me to draw the logo for. Which, thank God, never happened. And so I'm chatting over with these guys. And I'm pretty drunk at this point. So my inhibitions are gone and I'm not like dying to get away. And again, this was Cheech. This was the the guy who wasn't nearly as intimidating. He's asking me about my business and uh, what the what, what am I doing here? And I tell him, well, my art dealer's dad runs a joint. Oh, you know so-and-so? 
and I look over at the table, and Sean is looking at me like, who the fuck is he talking to? And my art dealer's father's at the table looking at me like, how the fuck do they know each other? And turns to his son like, who the fuck is this guy you brought in here? How do you know him? You don't really know him. Like, I'm connected in some way. So they're all just looking at me, and I can just feel it. So I'm like, look, my dinner's coming up. Let me go sit down and eat. I'll talk to you on the way out. I go and sit down, and his dad walks away. His dad was like this angry little muscle Italian man, like a like an in-shape Mario who's pissed. And uh, he's like, who, who, who the, what the fuck are you doing? And he's kind of freaked out. He's like, my dad is freaked out. What's going on? Like, you're never going to believe this. So I tell them the story about the previous night and running into this guy and uh, just bumping into him again tonight. And we're all getting a, a, a good laugh out of this. This is crazy. And Sean just cannot believe this story. He, In fact, the reason I'm telling you this right now is because he called me earlier and he's like, I love that fucking story. So... My art dealer talks to his dad and calms him down a bit because his dad thinks I'm connected and that his son's getting into business with me, not knowing who I am and blah, blah, blah. I just draw fucking comic books. Damn it. But no matter where I go, I end up with another mob story. So I call my grandmother, I call my cousin, I call my father-in-law. I mean, this is my story of the fucking week right here. I the the domino effect of phone calls throughout the Jewish network from New York to Baltimore to Atlanta was set in records. So today you got Dave Marquez. I'd never met Dave. He got turned on to this podcast. I don't know how. He seemed to really like it. I don't know why. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know how I got turned on to it, but he did like it. And uh, so I, I DM'd him. I was like, look, man, I'd love to have you on. We've never met. And like I've said, I always enjoy those conversations quite a bit. I knew Dave's work. And Dave Dave is a quick rising star in comics. And uh, I what, what I did know of Dave was I had been mistaken for him a few times. There, there's a couple of us in comics who have a look. And it's not an identical look, but it involves a beard, long to medium length to short hair, and we all look like we're from the Mediterranean. And, we're all, and I'm friends with all these guys now, but we all get mistaken for each other. It's me. Me and Mateo, wherever we go, people mistake us for each other. And I got some good stories about people thinking I'm Mateo. Um, But at Heroes last year, Tim Townsend just could not, he just kept looking at us like, you guys are fucking twins. Uh, And I have some pictures where Mateo's in the background and I'm not in it and people swear it's me, but it's Mateo. Uh, Dave Marquez being another, I've been told a few times, hey, you look like Dave Marquez. Uh, or, hey, are you Dave Marquez? And then Ramon. So, 
uh, I'd like to get a picture of all of us. Put it up on the ink pulp site or something. But yeah, so the, the, there, there's a look there, and we get mistaken for each other. So I knew that about Dave, and it's like, let's set it up. Let's do it. Let's talk. So he was going to Heroes. We set it up, and and we got down. Uh, that's about it. And uh, enjoy this conversation. It was a good one. Dave's a good dude, and I uh, enjoyed getting to know him here on the podcast. Um, as a as a cautionary note, I know when I get uh, either excited or engaged, I can get very uh, I speak very quickly and I can speak very loudly. So if at any point it seems like I'm just going off the rails, no, I, mean, I like so. that. That's a passionate speaker. I'm the same way. Cool. Um, what were we, we were talking about something earlier tonight where I said stop. Yeah. What were we talking about? So um, I think you had talked about how having just left SCAD, um, just the whole idea of taking the leap of faith, which. Um, from talking to other creators and certainly looking at my own experience, uh, I think it's something we all have to do because very few of us, I think, look into, you know, just doing comics with ease at like, you know, 18 or whatever. You hear those stories, of course, sure. but it, it, it's pretty rare. Um, and for me, it was, um, I had spent most of my 20s trying to break into comics. I'm 32 now. Yeah, I did and, the same. Uh, I had been working um, as a test prep instructor through most of my 20s. I had always kind of done well in school. I took tests well. And so I kind of, you know, I paid rent and everything after college, um, teaching like, you know, the law school exam, the med school exam, that kind Are of stuff. Are you serious? It was, it, it, it's bullshit, um, uh, like standardized test stuff. Like, like how strategies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It, it has nothing to do with how smart you are. It's like, can you game a system? Right. Um, right. and it's something that, uh, at least in that venue I, I was decent at. Um, how did you get into that? Uh, I'm trying to think it was kind of, so I, I grew up, um, in a kind of like an upper middle class, uh, neighborhood in Houston. And one of the things everyone did is everyone went to college and, um, there are companies out there where you, you pay them an absurd amount of money and they'll tell you how to cheat on these tests basically. Right. And so my parents enrolled me in one of those like weekend classes. Um, and it worked. I did really well on the tests and everything. Yeah. Um, and so came time I was like a junior or senior in college. I needed some, some cock money, honestly. And, uh, I knew these jobs paid pretty decently. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I, I went and tried out and, um, got a job kind of, you know, I, I'd taken the class. I think I'd also taken their GRE class when I was in college. Cause I was going to think about going to grad school for a while. And, uh, I'd you know, taken the full course, did well in it. And so they already knew me. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah, through through that I started, I started you know doing first like I think SAT stuff, then I moved into you know, GRE, LSAT, MCAT. Um, it's all it's all the same thing. It's not as if you have to be a master in like chemistry or anything. Right, it's all like right. the same skills for the most part translate across the board. Um, but getting back back to the point is I've been doing that for a long time, and uh, the hours were really flexible, which was great because I was trying to draw comics in my free time, um, and so I could you know teach a class in the morning, go home, draw for four or five hours teach a class in the evening, you know, have mm -hmm. a couple of beers, go to bed. Was it like a tutor thing, like one-on-one, -on -one, or was it like a classroom of people? All of the above. Um, okay. It started off, you start off as, as, a, as a classroom teacher, uh, depending on the on the test, maybe like 10 students, maybe up to like 50 you're teaching MCAT, um, which is the med school exam. And then eventually, if, if you get enough experience, you can then qualify to do like one-on-one -on -one tutoring, and, you know, they charge the kids a higher rate for that. Sure. Um but, uh, so, you know, I, I've been doing okay, you know, not making amazing money, but making, you know, like, you know, decent, like kind of teacher money, right. um, doing that enough to, you know, pay the rent and I could, you know, afford beer. So that's all I needed. <laughs> and, and, 
exactly. And comics. <laughs> um, oh, interestingly, for a while, I kind of fell out of reading comics, but um, that's that's kind of a separate right, we'll thing I can that. We'll go talk. on to. But uh, the the girl who I was dating, who's now my wife, who you met earlier, Tara, yeah. um, she had like a regular job. This uh, is in Houston. This is in. Well, we're in Austin, Austin now. So yeah, Austin. sorry, I grew up in Houston. I went to UT Austin, okay. and then uh, what did you study there? History and government. So I, I I don't have any formal art training. It was I was going to be. Who knows what I was going to be? I was I was a liberal arts major. Okay, you know I didn't want to um I didn't want to go like the traditional, you know I don't do business or accounting or any of that kind of stuff. I I, I had too much of a of I guess the nonconformist for that. But I was going to go to college, you know, because that's what we did. And now, uh, I mean, not I I, I want to go down a path. Yeah, I don't want to lose your whole sure thing. Yeah, your whole point. But w- were you always into drawing during? This oh time? yeah, yeah. I um I've been drawn since I was a kid. It's uh. It, Looking back at it, it's oh, of course, Dave is going to draw. Right. Um, but well, what made you? Was it just your parents talking about practicality stuff that made you go to college and not study drawing? Very much so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I I really fell in love with comics when I was uh, elementary school. You know, um, it was. I mean, I remember you know seeing like an Alan Davis Batman comic from the late eighties. Um, was that was that uh, was that year one? Uh, it was. Before, I mean, year two. It was just before. That. It was. It was the James O'Barr stuff. Okay. Um, I think it was like five seventy. I looked up the number recently. It was. It was uh, Batman, the Joker, and Catwoman, the old one with 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 which had like the 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 purple skirt, right. And stuff. And they're driving around in a Joker car. Uh, I very very vividly remember uh, the visuals of the comic, and it's funny I can look back on it and the memory of what Alan Davis' faces looked like. You know, at right. that age, oh, imprinted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also remember coloring in one of Joker's faces because I thought it hadn't been colored because he was white. <laughs> but uh, so even then, I was already critiquing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then like, you know, Jim Lee and all the nineties image stuff, uh, you made a big impression, but I, I, I'd loved comics since then. And actually it was a, a Robin drawing that I had done in like second grade. We had a kind of a, my elementary school had a open format kind of, kind of a uh, layout. So you could kind of lean back, look around some, some, um, some, uh, what do you call it? File cabinet, file cabinet yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. My middle school was and, like that. And, and see another classroom. Right. Right. Yeah. My middle school was just like that. And, uh. Yeah, I guess a weird southern thing, but um, you grew up in Jersey, though, right? No, I was born in Jersey, lived in New York for just when I was always a baby. I grew up outside of D.C. in uh, Columbia, Maryland, and uh, like it's in between D.C. and Baltimore. Okay, well that counts as the South, so yeah, you know, I mean, technically, mm-hmm. but like culturally, I never, I never thought I was in the South. Hmm. And no one there thought we were south. We right. were, we consider ourselves north. But my New York relatives, because my family's all from New York, would come down and call us southerners. Right. But that was the only time I ever heard that. And I was like, well, we're not south. And like, yeah, but you're south of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm like, uh, yeah, but yeah, culturally, we're not southern in any way. And when I moved to the south, I was like, yeah, we were not southern. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. Um, no, geography fascinates me. Um, and even then, Texas even isn't really considered the south. There's like the south and there's Texas. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, a weird yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, you know, the big sheets of manila paper that yeah. uh, we had back then. So I was doing this, I just read like the, was it Tom Lyle, who was the artist in that Robin series in the uh-huh. early 90s? <laughs> yeah. So I, I was drawn, you know, one of the faces from that. And the, my friend leans over and he's like, oh, wow, look at that. And apparently it was a good face. And, but either way, that made a really big impression on me. Like, oh, I can draw pictures and people like it and they give me positive attention. Dude, so, exactly. Um, I, I, I learned to get attractive young females in elementary school <laughs> through drawing. I've said it before on here once or twice, but you're the first guest I've had that uh, had the same, like, I can get attention mm-hmm. through this. 
I mean, I, I was a chubby kid growing up, so you know, I, I don't. You were? Oh yeah, I was. I was. I was a big boy. Um, You're tiny up now. until uh, <laughs> I, 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 about twenty pounds heavier thanks to comics. But um, yeah, don't do that. But yeah, no, no. I, I was up until about high school. I was. I was. I was a fat kid. Um, so I don't think drawing ever got me laid, but um, it, it got me, you know, some attention. That was good. But um, yeah, so I mean, ever since then, I've been drawn. You know, that 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 that, that was the the you know the first one's free, and then I kept chasing that dragon exactly. ever since. You know. Um, so I've been drawing all that time, but it was always, you know, make sure, you know, practicality, you know, a job is a thing you don't do because you love it. You do it because adults are miserable and you have to pretty much. Yeah. And and they'll fess up to it, but yeah. Yeah. I've said it in here before, like, and and the reason I think I, I kept teaching for so long while I was doing comics and I was killing myself with two full-time careers was because it had been drilled into my head that they were never unsupportive. It was just always this like, that's great and that's mm. nice and you should try to do that, but you have to have a fallback plan and you have to be practical and there's no insurance in that and the money's unpredictable and and that was really driven into my head. And uh, I mean, I, what's funny hearing that is I even that though I hear the specifics, insurance, the, you know, the unreliable freelance income. For me, it was nothing, nothing ever that specific. It was, you know, the line from my mom verbatim was always, you know, art is a hobby. Art is a great hobby. You can always do it as a hobby, okay, but okay. it's not a job. All right. I guess my parents were like, we'd love to see you succeed at that. But in their logic-driven brain, it's unrealistic. Like, mm-hmm. I would love for that to happen to you and you should try it. But it's most likely not going to happen, mm-hmm. not because of anything regarding you, but because that lifestyle doesn't work. Yeah, like the like it. I was just kind of taught that a freelance lifestyle does not work. Mm. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, to a certain degree, when I think about you know like, the way my parents parented me, and they were great parents. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, I love my them. parents were, and it's hard to it's hard to say that because they were totally supportive. They would right. sign me up for extracurricular art activities. They'd buy me art supplies. Oh, they'd my parents did the same shop. thing. Yeah. But it was just the way they were raised. I mean, they were raised by mm-hmm. Depression-era Jews in New York who, you know, raised them with fear and uncertainty and safety. Mm-hmm. So no, My dad, I mean, my, my dad's family came from California and then Mexico and Spain before that. Um, I'm, I'm a total mutt. But, um, I mean, similarly, my, my grandfather was like, a, he, he worked in like an outfitters and he made his own guns and all that kind of stuff. So my dad was the first one in the family to go to college and he was practical. You know, he was an engineer. He yep. paid off his student loans. Uh, he, he went to Berkeley, really good school. Wow. Um, but it was all by, you know, he did junior college until he could get into Berkeley. And then he got his last two years and his degree from Berkeley. And then he lived in, a, in uh, the YMCA for like six months to pay off his student loans before he, you know, oh, wow. very, very practically right, minded. Right, right, and right. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of him for all the stuff that he's done. I think he imparted upon in me a very good work ethic. Yes. Um, yeah. And I did get that too. You know, my grandmother would always say, my grandmother was always really the most supportive of me. Mm. And it was just like, you just do that. Like she was raised uh, like her father, like they were depression era Jews in New York. And her father was very much that old school Zionist socialist Jew who was all about arts and education, mm. taking a museum and raised her with this real appreciation and understanding of the importance in art of arts in, in society. So she was always behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would say to me sometimes, you know, Sean, you're really the first generation that can consider doing this. Mm-hmm. 
And that kind of always stuck with me. It's very much occurred to me that, you know, I only am able to do this. I'm I'm in a very privileged position to be able to even consider doing this as a career. Um, There's no question I come from it from a point of privilege. I mean, my parents are fairly affluent. There's that aspect of it, but also the fact that I'm benefiting from their hard work. Yeah, yeah, so am I. And uh, so as much as I can look back and, and wish I had had more like, you know, yes, you should pursue art as a career. I wish I had had that. I realized that... I'm only able to do it because of the fact they they had the mindset that led them to be you know career oriented and practical, right? You know, so um, it, it's hard to resent that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't resent at all. In yeah. fact, it wasn't. It was never for me. It was never a don't do that. Mm-hmm. It was just like, well, what's your safety net? Right. So what did I end up doing? Having a safety net job and a comic book mm-hmm. job, and not being able to say to myself this is insane what you're doing. You've got to, you can't do seven days a week for five years forever. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they were supportive. And I understand, they just didn't, they just, they didn't understand it. It just right. was foreign to them. And I think this is very true for my parents. And I, I will now, I mean, my parents now are very, very proud of me and very supportive. They buy like three copies of everything yeah, I do. No and no more supportive. I mean, my dad, uh, like he brags. Mm-hmm. Like he called me from, they were visiting uh, my aunt in Tampa. They're out playing golf. Uh, and my dad's brother who had passed away maybe a year ago, um, he was out with his friends. Mm-hmm. My dad knew them all. And he finds out one of the guys, um, like organizes and sets up all the Barnum Bailey circus stuff. Oh, wow. But on top of that, he does the Marvel live stuff. So, mm. you know, he's, he's like, Oh, my son works for Marvel. And, and he calls me from the golf course. Like, Hey, you, you know, so-and-so cause this guy works with that guy over at Marvel. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. They're proud. They're proud. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. Like it was, it was like you say, it was very foreign and didn't make any sense to them. And I understand why, of course they wouldn't want to see, you know, parent wants to see their child go down a route they think is going to lead them to, you know, Absolutely. anything other than you know, overwhelming success. And it is, it is a, it, I mean, it's, it's not just them. I, I just feel like, so the social structure of the United States of America is not built for people. Well, it, it it's very tricky for people to have creative careers. Oh, absolutely. That don't that don't have a. The system is built for you to have a salary, mm-hmm. benefits, four hundred one k, and if you don't have an employer that gives that shit to you. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. I've never had a, a full straight job like that. And I remember at some point my mom saying, like, you know, you're, you, you weren't designed or built for, like, an office job. Um, and I think that's very much true. The only thing that resembled a straight job, which is just an hourly gig, I got fired from after two months. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's – I don't know what the hell I'd be doing if I wasn't doing comics just because yeah. it, it's it's – I've never, I can't write a resume for, for shit. You know, it's, uh, I've never been able to do the traditional, you know, get an interview, submit well, a resume, all that stuff. Well, I, I, I hope mean, so. Yeah. It's just like, you know, any, like you talk to a lawyer and they're like, I, I don't know what I'd be doing if it wasn't a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, well, right. Cause you're doing what you should be right, doing. Right. Right. I guess that's it. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate, um, you know, to, to have gotten, you know, where I am by, by when I have and to have not had any real major, you know, stumbles. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I it was kind of you know hard scrabble through my twenties trying to break in. Right. Uh, once I did, things kind of went pretty quickly, and I'm I'm grateful for that's that. That's good. Yeah. That's that wasn't my case. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I guess tell me about that. Tell me about breaking in. Yeah. So um, and this kind of gets back to the whole leap of faith thing. So um. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're going. I mean, after college, um, so graduated I guess twenty two, twenty three. Uh, the week that I was graduating, and I took taking the fifth year to get a teaching certificate, your fallback plan, you know, the whole, you know, making sure I had something to do. That's, that's when I got my MFA. Um, 
I, uh, I had some friends who in Austin were working on a film called A Scanner Darkly. Oh, okay. And uh, a bunch of us had been doing the sketch group throughout college. So, I mean, on the point of like, you know, when to start drawing, I, I always drew my, my notebooks from school from second grade on up were just filled with drawings. So I'd always been doing this. And even in college, I had the sketch group I was a part of. I tried out for this gig that I heard about through them. Um, and the last day of student teaching, I was sitting in the parking lot, got a call from, from, uh, the woman who was hiring one of the producers and offered me the job. And at first I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm at applying for teaching jobs. I start in August. I don't think I can take the job. And she's like, Hey, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And hung up and I sat in the car for like 10 minutes. Like, what the fuck am I doing? And so, so, so I, I picked the phone back up. I called her back and I was like, yes, yes, I'll take the job. Um, and so that's been that summer working on, on the movie. That, um, now, Scanner Darkly, I know the movie you're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, and that was in Austin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wasn't Linkletter, was it? It was Linkletter, yeah. Okay, I, 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 I thought it was, but I was like, it didn't make sense that that would be him, but okay. Yeah, no, go. it's somewhere like Waking Life and, and all that. Mm-hmm. He's using mm-hmm. a very, very, uh, the same software, different iteration of it right, from right, Waking right. Life. Um, but through that, I met a bunch of guys who were you know, in animation and, and comics and concepting and that kind of stuff. Went to my first San Diego and did my first big portfolio review. Um, I I done some earlier than that at like Chicago. Was and stuff. Nick Darrington there? Yeah, I know he's okay. he's a good buddy of mine. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he uh, he was the lead animator on the team that I was on. Okay. And so we became we became friends through that. Um, so through, you know, through him, I met some other comic guys and. Uh, and that kind of gave me the seed of like, oh, maybe art is a viable career option, which led me to in my 20s of like trying to do comics and then doing whatever I could to pay rent, which was the the, the teaching thing. Okay. And this is all in Austin. This is all in Austin, okay. yeah. Um, and so uh, shortly thereafter, I met, I met uh, Tara, who's now my wife, and we started going to San Diego together. Um, but you know, I, I started, I was 23 when I was working on Scanner. And then up until I was 27 and 28, I was going to San Diego every year yep. and I was just getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Just nothing was happening. What year was this? What years? Um, uh, 2005 was when I worked on Scanner. So okay. 2005 till about 2009. Um, that, that was, that, that's the four. That's, that's recent. 2009, 2010. Yeah. No, I, I broke in fairly recently um, and, and then went, things just kind of snapped. You went fast up. Yeah. Wow. I like to think it was like, you know, it's, it's um, like, you know, charging on the block and then once the gun goes off, yeah, you know, just boom. something like that. Um, but anyways, all the time my, my, uh, we were going and I, I had picked up this one gig that I was working on ended up being like a hundred page graphic novel. never saw the light of day. It kind of fell apart. Not, I wouldn't say spectacularly cause no one other than the writer and me knew about it, but it was a, it was a was bad it a situation. Was it a was there a publisher? Um, it, it would have gone through, you know, uh, like a third tier publisher. Okay. Um, or yeah. And it just, everything fell apart. The deal kept changing and it, it just, it was not a good experience. Um, Thankfully, I haven't been fucked like that since, and it was a big learning opportunity. Yeah, for we me. all have to have that. We got fucked story. But um, so if, what, I, what I look at that though is, you know, from that period when I was working on this and going to San Diego, is I got a lot of bad pages out of my system. Yeah, and you I have to. And I learned to ink because we couldn't find an inker who'd work for free. Okay. Um, okay. And then I started working digitally as well, which for me was a big, big boon. Um, but and that was also all Tara. So a lot of this guy really revolves around Tara. I wouldn't have this career if not for her. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about that. So wh- when you met her, like I, uh, this weekend's been a lot of talk about wives and how mm, supportive they can can be, right. and how without that, it, it either the marriage wouldn't work or the career wouldn't work. Right. So she she got behind you from the from the start. A hundred percent. We met when she was, uh, we both went to UT. Uh, she's a couple years younger than I am. She was a fine arts major, like studio art. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, so you she, married an artist. Too. Yeah, absolutely. I did, I did as well. Um, and, 
what, what what's ironic about it is, you know, I had the you know the history major and uh, wanted to pursue art as a career. She had the art major, and ended up taking a straight job straight out of college. Oh, really? So, um, working for a nonprofit, which is which is for anybody who who knows that that can be a, a rough job because sure. you're wearing twelve hats and not is getting that paid what she for still, it. She still does? No, thankfully, uh, we, things got to a point where she could quit her job, and we're living just off the comic thing for now. Oh, great! Um, is she doing art for herself now? She's starting to again. Okay. Honestly, it's and I feel really awful about this. Like. I I feel in a lot of ways like she sacrificed her artistic ambitions so that I could pursue mine. Yeah, I I that I, I understand that. My wife was a, a very passionate potter. Mm-hmm. We met in school. She was pottery major. I was illustration. And uh, well, then we, you know we knew when we had kids. We had made the decisions. She'd stay at home, and I was teaching. But I was also never. I never stopped trying to get my comics career off mm-hmm. the ground. But. She's home with with the two kids, and not. I, it's not that I'm never there. I'm I'm always there. Right. I'm very around type of husband father, but she very much curbed her artistic stuff, and uh, I could see after at, at for a while it was fine because all of her energy was into the children. But right. once the children hit a certain age and they don't need you as much and they're going to school all day, I could see it really starting to eat away at her, and uh, I got her set up in the house with a. With, I just got her a wedge of clay mm. and a little table to work on. And she slowly got it back into it, but got started a jewelry business with oh, my cool. sister. Uh, so she does that on the side. But I'm sorry. This no. Is, go ahead. No, no. It, it's interesting hearing that because this is something that Tara's finally getting back into art now. And, That's why I asked. Uh, we moved to Portland recently. There's a huge you know, comics community and yeah, art creative community there. Yeah. And uh, because of that and the supportive environment there, she's, she's getting back into it. She's starting to write. And uh, hopefully here in the next you know, year or two, she wants to do comics. She wants to do web comics. She wants to oh, do cool. fine art, all this stuff. So. What was her, her medium of choice back when she was studying art? Uh, it was a variety of stuff. She was transmedia. She also did a lot of like oil stuff. Okay. Um, so it really it was a lot of different things. Uh, did a little bit of performance art, but primarily I would say it was transmedia, a lot of um, like interactive video stuff, and then um, lots of oil. And you met her in Austin? Yeah. Uh, so um, we met in an Aikido. Uh, I, I do martial arts, okay. Aikido. Um, we met in a beginner's program there. Her brother was like a, a black belt in the, in the program. I had been in there for like six months and she was just starting with her then boyfriend. Um, so there, there's, some, there's, some, there's some funny context in there. But uh, And I was dating someone too, but we each kind of caught each other's eye. And then about six months later, you know, we had, we had talked and we each understood we were artists and had that kind of thing. Um, we both happened to become single around the same time. Uh, and we talked about maybe getting coffee just to chat because, you know, art, art stuff. Sure. And we got along pretty well. Um, and sneakily I upgraded, you know, coffee to dinner and then, uh, that was there from the beginning and then (laughs) things kind of went off from there. So, um, you know, similar interest, I think was a lot of it, you know, similar interest in art and the martial art thing, which he isn't doing anymore, but it was, uh, a a shared interest nonetheless. Is that how you shed the weight from, or did you shed the weight earlier in life? It was in high school. Um, so I went, did you just grow out of it or uh, did you do something? A couple things. Growing out of it was part of it. I mean, I was... I mean, I'm a short guy. I was, I've always been short. Um, in eighth grade, I was like five foot, a hundred and like forty five hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my freshman, and I was, uh, my parents always had me swimming like competitively. Okay. Even even as a, as a chubby kid, I guess maybe buoyancy helped. I don't know, but uh, they always had me swimming. Um, and I, I was okay, but mostly because I was just spending a lot of hours doing it. But I was still chubby. And you weren't shedding the weight through swimming. No, wow. no. It's uh, I I loved my chocolate milk and hamburgers, man. You know, like. <laughs> But um, chocolate shake with hamburgers oh, and fries. Oh man, I loved it. I, I don't eat that shit anymore, but I, I loved it then. Are you a vegetarian or you don't? No. Do you um, eat red meat or you stay away from My it? wife is pescatarian. 
And so okay. uh, because of, of that, I don't really eat meat at home. Um, okay. If she's gone for evening, I might run out and grab a steak real quick and, you know, sure. and, and, and sear it up. But um, no, I, I eat whatever, um, but I tend to not say watch what I eat, but I'm aware of what I eat. Yeah, uh, and so, I do. At my age, I'm very aware of what yeah. I eat. And I, I have noticed, I mean, you know, 32, I'm still relatively young, but I'm not 22 anymore. Right. You know, like I, I can't drink the way I used to. I 30, can't. man. No, it's, it, it's night and day. Like injuries don't come back as quickly mm-hmm. and it's, it's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, it's um, like, there's like a switch. It's like almost overnight at 30. Like what just happened to mm-hmm. me? And then at 40, it just was like, what? I mean, I'm in shape. Yeah. I take good care of no, myself. Oh, you're in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. I wake up every morning achy. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, I say to my wife, like, I have the choice. Stay in shape and always be achy or don't stay in shape and grow a tumor somewhere. Right, yeah. No, I mean, we, <laughs> when you're young, it seems like you can do whatever you want with no consequences. And that means, you know, for doing fun things, doing bad things, doing whatever. And over as time goes on, I think you become much more aware of consequences and the sure. you know, behavior. Doing what you enjoy has consequences. Doing stuff you don't enjoy has consequences. It's a matter of, you know, what outcome do you want and what's the best way of getting there? Or what are the costs associated? Right. Um, so shedding the weight. Yeah, so uh, my freshman year in high school, uh, I joined the high school swim team and and uh, I also had like a six inch growth spurt. And so those two things oh, combined okay. um, within like six months, I was, I was like, you know, five, five, five and a half, five, six, and like 120 pounds. Okay. And so just like gone. Um, I remember one of my friend's moms not recognizing me, like at a swim meet halfway through. So, you know, that felt pretty good. Um, and I, and I stayed, you know, between 120, 140 up until, I don't know, probably about 22, 23 and then, especially yeah. once I got into comics, I, I gained like 25 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, when, after my second son was born, I see pictures of myself. I'm like, whoa, I was heavy. Mm. But yeah, it just happened. It does it, man. I mean, it's, it's a sedentary lifestyle and stress and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it's bad. Yeah. Do you, do you um, like I know early on, like deadlines are really stressful. Mm. But do you, have you adjusted or do you, do you adjust to, to the point where the, like – the, the the stress of a deadline never goes away, but the worry about it, I think, fades a little. Like, you get confident, like, yeah, I'm going to have to work a lot, but I'll whatever. I'll, I'll be okay. At, at this point, I mean, we don't have kids yet. Um, and while, you know, making time for the relationship is certainly important, yeah, very, she, she, very, she knows the lifestyle. Sure. Um, and, and we have conversation. We communicate very well, which which helps us, you know, work through it, but... That's great. Um, no, it's, I understand that in order to hit a deadline, there are certain requirements. And there are times I don't have weekends or I stay up crazy late or, yeah. you know. Um, it, again, it comes back to like, you know, what what do I need to do to reach a certain goal? And I, do I stress about it? When I fall behind, I get stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I deal with the stress by getting the job done. I don't work well. Like there's some artists that procrastinate on the front mm. and it makes the back load very heavy. Right. But the hardest part for me is the last page. Yeah. And so I'll stress hard on the front so that I'm in a position um, where that last page isn't under the gun. And even if I've got like, like say two pages, two days, which is like hours and hours more mm-hmm. time than I need, that it's just like the anticipation of getting it done gets me. So I, I front load this, like I start like sprint yeah, and, and then slowly level out as I go along. I can't, if I, if I have a job where 
the back starts compounding, I'm fucked. Yeah. With me, it's it depends on whether I have routine or not. I love routine. Yeah, uh, I'm all routine. But I, th- that, that gets into, a, like, I know my, my, I make my schedule mm-hmm. and then I know my routine and I have weekly deadlines. Like, I, yeah. I'm a bit crazy with that. I'm, I'm very good at knowing, based on what I'm doing today, um, what three days from now will look like, what a week will now look yeah, like. Yeah, that's exactly And I know I that if I get tripped up now, I can see how that impacts everything yes, else. And yeah. so I have to come down on it. My big issue is, honestly, for the past like year, I have not had much of a routine. Um, and it, 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 it that stresses me out. That stresses me out mad. What's getting in um, the way of the routine? Oh, it's, it, my, my friend are always joking about this. It's like, it's been a crazy weekend. It's been a crazy week. Crazy month, crazy year, crazy. It's just been everything compiling. So, I mean, the last 13 months, 14 months, starting in, I guess, April, uh, we, uh, even before that, we were prepping for, for a wedding while doing cons, um, got married in April, moved cross country from Austin to Portland in May, spent the summer finishing up the back half of an all 3d graphic novel that we were doing 3d conversion for. And I was doing the art for, um, while doing the monthly book and doing, uh, we didn't do any conventions. Wait, what is this 3d thing? You're uh, doing? It's, it's a, a, a graphic novel we did called the, uh, the joiners in 3d. Who's we, uh, uh, so my wife and I did the 3d conversion. I did the art and a writer named RJ Ryan out of LA, okay. um, who back, <laughs> this relates back to the breaking in story. The first writer I ever worked at worked with professionally. Um, he, he and I did a book together at the very beginning. This is our, our follow-up and our first creator-owned property. Oh, okay. It's a three-year project, and, and I, I can I can jump into that, but it was a three-year project. I did the first half of the book, art in 3D, um, in about two and a half years, and we did the last half of it you in mean about like three and a half modeling? months. No, I mean like red, blue, anaglyph 3D, oh. like where the glasses. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and this is funny because I often find myself, uh, there's the whole you know equivocation, equivocation thing. Is it you know, 3D modeling? Is it 3D? Um, whatever, but we spent the summer finishing that up working. I mean, it was crazy, 120 hour weeks. It was nuts. Um, and then in the fall, you know, we took a little bit of a step back, got had some weekends again, but then Mm -hmm. we went to Hawaii for a week, which eats up work time. Then we went to New York con and then was Hawaii just a vacation. Yeah, it it was, it was a vacation. A bunch of uh, friends of ours from Portland were going, they say, Hey, you want to come along? I'm like, I guess I can blow my savings. Sure, let's do it. You know? <laughs> um, it, it, it was fun and it was nice, but it, it, it ate up time. You mm-hmm. know, and that's the thing is, well, well, I can get into that later. Um, and then uh, this year, things were relatively calm through through the new year, but then our lease is coming up. We've been in Portland for a year and like, you know, we're throwing money away by renting. Should we buy a house? We have just enough, barely enough for a down payment. Should we do that? So then there's the stress of buying a house. And then for the past month, it's been, you know, doing all the house search and then closing and yeah, then okay. doing all that stuff and then getting contractors to fix just shit. And shit. it's just, yeah. and it's been like, it's just, I remember maybe, maybe it never was there and I'm, I'm romanticizing it. I remember a time when I could just, every, every week was the same. You know, I have X yeah, amount of time. I live for that. And you know, there's there's my work time, and then I have evenings, and then I, I can go to Aikido and hang out with friends, and I, I know where all the time goes. That's what I want. But it seems as if the life has just become I spell over the place. Uh, life funny. has become a matter of like, well, here, I, I pretend like I, I can expect a routine, but then an hour gets robbed for me here, an yeah, hour gets yeah. robbed for me there, and all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'm a week behind on my deadline, and right. so I just scramble, and then my even more time is gone. So yeah, I found well having children makes that even trickier. Right. So <clears throat> it makes me sticking to my schedule even more important right. and crazy. But yeah, I mean, I I I get your, what you're saying. For me, summers are when like my routine is disrupted because the kids are home and and it's, you know, it, during the school year, it's like we're all up at six and mm-hmm. 
you know, I get my daughter out the door, my wife gets my son out the door, and then I go to the studio, and, and it's all routine, and I love it. I get home, I make dinner, I go to the gym, and come home, we hang out for a little while before we go to bed, and it's all good. But then summer comes, and I have such trouble when things throw my schedule like out. And th- how do you react to that when that happens? Do, oh, it stresses me out so crazy? much. I, I, I stress a lot. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it really, I don't handle it. Well. Yeah. It's honestly without Tara, I don't know how, how I would be able to deal with it because she, I mean, I'll forget to eat, you know, and, and she'll, you know, yeah, she, she'll, she'll there. notice I'm, I'm, I'm crabby. She's like, you need to eat. I'm like, oh shit, you're right. And, yeah. you know, or she'll just bring me a meal. She knows I'm, I'm, I'm stressed yeah, out. You that can kind get of into thing. that zone of drawing with the pressure of the deadline and just the world around you ceases to yeah. exist. No, yeah, totally yeah, true. I've been there. I've been there. So what, uh, well, we skipped a little part where yeah. you were, um, Going to San Diego, right. and then well, now you are where you are. But what happened in between? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I've been working on on that that fucking book, and uh, like I said, getting bad pages out of my system and all that stuff. Going to San Diego and just not making any headway. And so I think I was looking at my twenty seventh birthday and saying like, well, I, I'm I'm staring at the barrel at thirty, and I'm still getting nowhere. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I was the, there. and so I was like, well, you know, I have I have a good LSAT score. I could go to I could go to a good law school, and I could do that all that bullshit. I don't want to, but it's at a certain point you have to like settle down and say, you know, the dream isn't going to happen. You got to just take responsibility. That's a hard conversation oh, to have with man. yourself. I, I've had that. It and, scared and the shit out of me. Your your ego is just like shut up. Yeah. Well, for me, it was always like, well, okay, let's say I go do that, and I'm making. 80, 100 grand a year doing some job, I'm going to be an awful person to live with. Right. An unhappy motherfucker. And, and as, as, as miserable as I am yeah. now, that's going to, at least I'm trying. Right. And that's going to be awful. And thing, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I, I have friends, you know, who are lawyers and stuff and I'm making just, you know, crazy, crazy mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether I could have also done what they do. Not, not, mainly the, not that it's like soul sucking or things like that. It may have been for me, but like, you know, there, there's the kind of lawyering you do to make a lot of money. And then there's a lawyer you do to follow your, your conscience and that kind of right. stuff. Actually, my dad is a lawyer oh, and, wow. um, right out of law school, went and worked for a firm. And after a few months, he just couldn't stomach it. it he's, he's, he's just a very moral, honest person mm-hmm. and couldn't stomach the twisting of words and, right. and the misrepresentation, the all legal, but oh, yeah. that's, that's what our judicial systems. Oh based no, it's, around. it's bullshit. Yeah. So he ended up getting a government job as a lawyer, basically, proofreading laws and making sure they were legally bulletproof and all that, which just sounds like, I can't believe he did that. Yeah. Like just reading like professional lawyer proofreader. Yeah. Like sounds mind numbing, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's, I guess he did what he had to do. Yeah. But yeah. So he couldn't stomach that. He is, is, is I understand what you're saying. Looking back at his career, does he enjoy or does he like what he had done or? Well, he's the type of person I very much like me. I don't know if you're like this as, as a cartoonist, where where things that are that are very puzzle driven and, mm. and tedious and, and the, like I was explaining the other day to my wife when when I'm in thumbnailing mode, like I do, I thumbnail the whole issue before I start drawing it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's usually a week process for me the thumbnails. During that week, I, I don't think I'm a nice person to live with. <laughs> And it's not because I'm crabby. It's like my mind has locked on to the most difficult puzzle yeah. it could imagine. And it is spending the every every minute of my life 
like even when I walk away from the studio, like, well, what if I made that panel a little mm. smaller and I dropped a black shape in here? And it's just, it, and I said to her, it's like Goodwill Hunting, that math problem right. that no one can solve. But I've always been the type of person that loved problem solving right. that completely envelops your mind. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I remember being in high school when we got into geometry. I was always just good at math. I enjoyed math. Mm. Uh, and people thought it was crazy, but it was like, this is kind of fun, like problem solving. Algebra, I really enjoyed. But when we got into geometry and it was dealing with shapes, it, it came easy and natural mm-hmm. and fun to me. And my, I remember my good friend just thought I was insane and she hated me for it. But so I always equate thumbnailing to that. It's that type of mind. Analytical, and my father has yeah. that. Yeah, very logic, analytical, problem solving mm-hmm. mind. So I think he was able to find that in the work because mm-hmm. that, you know, it's you're, you're proofreading and, and you're analyzing how this sentence can be interpreted yeah. and removing a word. And so I don't think he hated it. And I think there were aspects of the job he he probably enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just see it in him now. Like he called me up the other day. You know, you misspelled this on Facebook. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, I, I, you know, I, I was on lunch break, really anxious to get back to inking this page. I just typed that like, what the fuck? Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> what it did was it afforded his life now. Yeah. And they're retired. They've moved down to Atlanta where we are. The cost of living is dramatically lower. Mm-hmm. They were able to buy a beautiful house on like the ninth hole of golf course. Oh, nice. And he spends most days playing golf. Oh, and that's great. Doing what he wants to do. So, uh you know, did he enjoy it? I think there are aspects of it he enjoyed it, but right now he's happy as can fucking be. I yeah. don't think he regrets anything. So bought him a good retirement. Absolutely. Do you do you ever want to retire? I don't. I, I don't want to retire. No, yeah. no, no, no. There's no. Like that's the thing is like we'll be talking to people and, and, and like just friends we have and, and relatives and talk about retirement. And I not not only do I not want to, I can't. Yeah. If I'm ever not drawing, I'm not happy. Yeah. I don't want to stop. I feel the I, same I, way. I, yeah. I want to be in a position where I'm only working on passion projects. Mm-hmm. That's where I want. Oh, to that's get the dream, to. man. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's retirement for me. Like just getting to say, I want to draw this, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So yeah, no, why you don't want to retire? No, yeah, no, yeah. no. Fuck that. No, I mean it's. Um, I mean, when I look at what I want my career to be over, you know, I, God, I hope it lasts until I, I keel over. I'm very, right. very happy at like 120, but right. um, I want to be well. I mean, I want oh, to be absolutely, well yeah. No, I mean, it's it's you know, for a long time, I would love to continue doing big two stuff and doing creator own, just kind of doing the both, getting yeah. to play with the toys I loved as a kid and and absolutely. creating my own stuff. Yeah, perfect. And I'd love eventually to be able to take my time, you know, do like you know, have one project come out a year, have it support me for however long, you know, until it takes to do the next project, or or do it not even worrying about whether it support me or not. Yeah, you know? yeah, I'd like to be there where I can just take on a project, not worried about the finances, yeah, it, but just the pure joy of. Oh, doing that'd be it. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's retirement. Oh yeah, me. totally. Um, so connect the dots. Yeah, of, of getting so. We had uh, we sat down with with Tar and we talked about you know okay I'm going to give myself two years because it's getting ridiculous I've done this for you know I think it was five years I've done it for five years since Scanner and just been not making any headway and she kind of like she she is she's a lot smarter than I am she uh, laid out a couple of things she's like well you know you're going to these shows but that's you're only seeing you're only making yourself available to be seen or hired like two times a year. And you're doing it in like the biggest season comics. You know, you're doing it like That's in San Diego and you're doing it in, in New York. Like, yeah, we all you, are doing that. You can get drowned. You, you know, 
of course, it's gonna be hard to break in there. Right. But you know, like, why don't you get active online? There are all these forums, or all these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, that was one thing. So I got active online. Just and I, and I had met some people previously on like Miller World and Pencil Jack and that kind of stuff. So I started doing that again, just just showing art, talking to sure, people, sure. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was like, and you know, you have this 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 uh, you know Wacom <laughs> tablet sitting over there you haven't used in a few years, and you used to do all the scanner stuff. You were great at it. So have you ever tried using that for comics? I'm like, who would use that for comics? And then I sat down, I'm like, well, fuck it, let's just try. And I inked this thing, and immediately it's like, oh, everything I was trying to do, it was so difficult, I can do so much easier on this. Okay. And, uh, and so I, I started you know, inking, and then from there, doing everything digitally. Um, and really, it was, it was those two things. And thirdly, that she was willing to support me if, if I needed to, her to, right, you know, right. to, to make the transition or to lean on that. And actually, a really good point she made is, you know, one year I'd made like, I don't know, it's you know, like maybe like 40 grand or so doing my regular job, which for me was like, oh, so much money. This is yeah, amazing. Sure, you know, sure. 20, whatever. And she's like, well, you know, you're spending a lot of time doing that. You might need to actually sacrifice the financial comfort of that job in order to get what you want. And it was like just... I didn't want to accept that. Like, no, no, I can have it all. I can, I can work this. I can have my beer money, and I can. I know that. Have this. Yeah, I'm very in, tune, in touch with that. Um, so, is this when the leap of faith? Yeah, came? very much. And so, um, I, I, you know, started working some digital stuff. I started submitting um, work online, and the writer R.J. Ryan, who I was mentioning earlier, found me on Miller World, submitting for a project. And so, for San Diego in '09, um, right before that show. Uh, some guys associated with Archaea Comics got in touch with me, saying, "Hey, we have this project called Syndrome, and uh, you know the writer found you and wants and is interested." So he did some tryout art, met them at San Diego. That same year, I also got a call back from a, a talent search thing at Top Cow. Sat down with Mark Silvestri, and he gave me a great portfolio review, um, and uh, left San Diego with uh, contacts at Top Cow and basically a, a paid job at Archaea. Wow. The, pay, the page rate was was low. But um, it was it was a page rate, right? And so you know, Tar and I sat down after the show and like, well, you know, here here's how much money that this will pay. This is not enough to live off of. Um, but what I, what I can do is I can cut down to like you know one far fewer classes at Princeton Review. I wasn't that's the company I was working with for the test prep. I wasn't going to stop entirely, but I was going to cut down. I was going to really focus on the next year. I'm going to cr- do this graphic novel. Um, and you know she she was continuing working working her her job. Yeah. At the end of that, I started you know the, the uh, I was done with with this graphic novel syndrome. It wasn't out yet, but I was getting work from Top Cow and other stuff. And we're looking at them like, in order to do these projects, I need to be able to just focus on the art. And she's like, do it. I will. You know we we have some savings, um, but quit working, do the comic stuff, and um, you know we live off of that. And I mean, our, our finances were separate and everything. She loaned me like five grand. And wow. uh, I mean, I, I was, I burned through everything I had. I had not a cent to my name. And she, you know, she loaned me money to pay off some stuff. My parents loaned me a little bit of money um, that, like, it was an inheritance of some sort, uh-huh. a small amount. But um, it, it, that was a leap of faith. It's like, I'm going to yeah. not make money for myself, I'm going to lean on you guys. And, and, you know, working for smaller publishers, you know, payments will come, but they'll come late. Yeah. It, well, sometimes they don't come. No, and, and that, and thankfully I've never been totally stiffed, um, at least not yet. So, but, um, I, I knew like I was not going to be financially, you know, stable. Um, right, so right. took leap of faith and it paid off, you know, um, those jobs led to other jobs and each job, uh, I, I was very good at, you know, finding the best opportunity available and going down that path. And like, you know, whenever you see the fork, I happen to take, keep taking the right route. Um, was that luck or foresight? 
Uh, I mean, what, you know, they they say was it? It's um, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, right, or whatever. Right, you know, right, I, right, right. some of it was that. Some of it is. Um, see, I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. Maybe I had a sense of like, you know, this is this deal isn't good enough. I think it's a better one if I just wait just a little bit. That's, that's pretty awesome. Maybe that. That's, um, that's confident. Right? Well, there's that. And also, I work, I work my ass off. Like, I was doing for a while, like, you know, book and a half a month, uh, close to two books a month. I was just hustling. Right. And I think fairly quickly, I, I established a reputation for being fast, for being reliable, um, and for communicating. Um, you know, honestly, I think that's like, I. Hey, listening to this, you probably heard my frustration with trying to get my career somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it really boils down to me only being able to turn out, you know, at max, I could put out five issues a year at max because of the other job. And right. it wasn't because I was slack. I was working seven days a week, right. like crazy hours just to put out those five a year and run the department and teach. Uh, but I just had this, it wasn't my reputation was unreliable. It's just mm-hmm. Sean doesn't have the time. Right. So I realized kind of after I put my notice in at SCAD that that I just wasn't being taken seriously. Hmm. And, and not for only because I, I I didn't have full time to dedicate. You weren't to this. fully committed, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's probably true. My fear of leaving was probably a fear of commitment. Part of it, part of it was maybe a fear of commitment to just doing that. Yeah. But it's based on. Having to be responsible for three other. Oh, human of course, beings. yeah, yeah. No, I mean that—that's a lot of pressure, man. That's that's yeah, scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly that's exactly what it was. But but then once you take the leap of faith, uh, I mean, for me, uh, I, I haven't really talked about this yet, uh, just because the announcement hasn't been out. But by the time mm. this comes out, the announcement will be out. Hmm. Um, I, I as I was winding down school, I took a trip to New York, um, just to start to change that perception of me. Right. Like I knew everyone at Marvel, like I knew all the editors and and they, most of them I think enjoyed my work and I know I had a good rapport with them. And uh, so I just wanted to be like, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to leave teaching. So I'm just, I'm going to be very available and I'm going to be ready to work my ass off. Now earlier, uh, I take a trip to New York twice a year Mm. outside of conventions. I have found that to be the most fruitful thing professionally that I've ever done because I get FaceTime and, and uh, fun time with industry people, editors and artists outside of the convention where they're not pulled in a million mm. directions. And there hasn't been one time where I haven't left New York with what's next for me. Right. And, uh, and, so I, I, I've made that a point. So I had went at one time and uh, Mark Doyle over at Vertigo at the time, I guess I had, I had tweeted something. I was in New York and I was killing time before. I, I always end my trip with, uh, I go out to Brooklyn for a weekend and spend the weekend with a good friend of mine. And uh, I was waiting for him to get off work and I had checked out of the hotel I was in and I was just in the cafe sketching and I probably Instagrammed mm. and that goes to Twitter and uh, Mark, who I had met once briefly, had tweeted to me, you know, you don't call, you're in New York. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know we were good like that. So I was like, look, next time we'll get lunch. So I, that New York trip, probably about eight weeks before I left, and I'm sorry to make this about me. No, no, but no. I, it's, it's relating to your leap of faith, and I, I do have a point in this. So 
uh, I went to New York and uh, I was like, well, I'll, I'll let Mark know I'm there so we can grab lunch. Mm. And, you know, I, I at this time I'm doing some covers for Valiant and I'm doing work for Marvel. So I made sure to get dinner and drinks with the Valiant guys and do stuff with the Marvel people. But I got in lunch with, with uh, Mark just to hang out. The thing about Mark was I, I just, I, we had a lot of similar interests and, and I thought it would just be cool to have a talk yeah. and to know him a little bit. And uh, we ended up having a few drinks over lunch and uh, and had a good time. And we never talked about work. I didn't think there was any point in talking about work. Right. But he emailed me the next day. Uh, and this is when he was just moved. He had just started at the bad office. So he emailed me the next day. He said, we didn't even talk about work. And he's like, I like what you do and I want to do something. I was like, and I knew enough about Mark that that's an editor I do want to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like his taste. And, and I think he has a real vision that that I like. Uh, so I was like, okay, you know, he's like, I'm changing, I'm doing a lot with the bad books and, uh, I'd like to find something for you. I was like, I, I would love to do that. So a few weeks later he offered me a Batman book and uh, it was just a matter of him convincing the bosses that I would, be, uh, one thing I've always had, and I actually, I'd like to talk to you about this because yeah. I, I don't think this probably applies to you. One, I've always had a, um, a, a little trouble because of the look of my work is mm. cartoony. So it's always been like, well, you know, like with ca- ca- approach with caution. I've heard you talk about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and I'm, ne- I never regret that. It's just my natural way I draw. Yeah. It's, it's all my love of, of the art, my favorite artist culminating in me and what I do. Um, now Doyle likes this look, but right. I understand and looking at, you know, a lot of the DC books on the shelf, I can see this is an, this is a step away from the norm. Yeah. So it was a few hoops to jump through over a little while, but, uh, school ended on, on a Thursday and, uh, I didn't have the Batman book locked down yet, but I, I've, I realized at some point in life, when you go in for a job interview, you know, if the job is yours before that interview even starts. Mm. And, like I remember when I got hired at SCAD, I went in for the interview. I already had a teaching job. I didn't need this job. I wanted this job. I would get to teach comics. Mm. And I kind of was like, oh, the job's... Like I knew it was mine. It doesn't prevent me from being manic and crazy. And, of course. Oh yeah. my God, I'm not going to get it. But but I do know. So I was like, I, I'm pretty sure it's mine. But now the real panic's setting in. Now the job is gone and I don't have anything. And Marvel had been flirting an idea with me that was really really awesome. And for me, it was just a character yeah. I really want to get my hands on, but same with Batman. Of course. Yeah. So Friday, I was like, I'm not gonna worry about this. You know, I think I went in the studio, I knocked out a couple commissions. Uh, I had a cover to finish and then the weekend comes, I'm just with Steph and the kids. And then Monday comes, Steph doesn't work on Mondays. And she's like, I'm going to the pool with the kids. I was like, all right, I'm going to the studio. I had nothing to do. That's my schedule mind. I have to go to the studio. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I, I, I'm getting a little nervous. I haven't heard and I don't have a job now. And she's like, just come to the pool with us and relax. At the pool, I get the call. So it, it's, you know, school ends one week, next week, Batman. Crazy. Yeah. So taking the, that wouldn't have happened had Unless I not you, yeah. left my job. No, it's nuts. My, uh, my wife has this line. I'm not sure where she got it from. Um, it's kind of like, it could almost be on one of those like motivational posters, but I think it's a really good sentiment. It's everything you want is on the other side of fear. That, dude, I have that same thing on my phone. It's, 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 it's so true. It's such a good, I mean, it's it, the sentiment is perfect because it really is. There's so many things in life that 
it, it's it's the apprehension of what, of, you know, what might go wrong. Right. But right. you'll never know until you try. It's you right. know the whole you know no guts no glory thing. It's the same thing, yeah, but yeah. I think it, it's, it's, be, it's better phrased. My um, friend Lee Larridge always told me, always said to me, "Leap and a net shall appear." Mm-hmm. He's he's that type of guy, and it's always worked for him. And I, I, I don't know if it's I'm a pessimist, a realist, or what, but I'm like, well, how can you jump if there, if you don't see the net? Like, that's crazy. But then you do it, and you're like, oh, that worked. Yeah. Well, the difference being those, I mean, it, it's it's uh, you're jumping, but you have a, you have a, you have you know a parachute, or you understand how physics works, and you you know how yeah, to fall. It's only it's, a three foot fall, like, right? Yeah. Or, or at least you you've educated yourself before you take the jump. It's a calculated you know? jump. Exactly. That, yeah. yeah, that's very, very well. You're said. not just saying I'm going to quit my job and win the lottery on Monday. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That would be insane. Um, and I think that's that's something you see with a lot of people who who have been successful. It's that it's not some people just only look into it. It seems maybe there's stuff we're, you know we're not privy to that explains you know success. But generally speaking, it seems. There are reasons why they're successful. That when they took the jump, they were ready for what was going to happen right, right. afterwards, or exactly. they laid the groundwork. They were prepared. They had trained, and they, it was time. Well, and and I and I'm very very ready to admit, had I done this a year ago, I wouldn't have been ready. Right. My, you know, the work ethic was ready, but the work wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like I, I see my my five or so years of doing both jobs, very much as my my training ground. I mean, I was trained to do comics before that, but I hadn't been trained to produce comics. And, um, so I, yeah, I wouldn't have been ready before that at all. So you took the leap of faith and it, and it eventually led to Marvel. Mm -hmm. Oh, what was your first job at Marvel? So, um, I had bumped into CB Sabolsky, I think at that same San Diego in 2009 outside of some booth and exchanged cards. I, I think I was too nervous to even say what my name was. I forgotten, but I gave him the card. <laughs> I got his card. So that was enough. And I've been sending samples. Um, and as I was doing all these indie projects, I was submitting samples like, like clockwork every six or eight weeks. Just here's the new stuff, short, polite email, not being an asshole, not being annoying, just, you know, let, keeping the work in front of them. And eventually they got back to me. And I think about a year, year enough after that, um, I'd been talking to Bon Alamano, who at the time was the yeah, talent no coordinator. Yeah. yeah. And um, he was like, hey, so uh, I might have a gig for you. And uh, after a little bit, it, it was laid out. It was Jonathan Hickman needed a fill in on Secret Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm a new guy. You know, so got to try you out a little bit. And so I did some sketches. And this was before New York. 2011, I want to say. So, like, this is like September 20, uh, 2011. Um, and so, uh, on a kind of like on a lark, I uh, buy a ticket to fly to New York Con um, and scramble. I end up you know, rooming with uh, Dave Lanfear and Troy Petrie, who are two letters mm-hmm. um, in the Upper West Side. Uh, I mean, just, just, everything's you know by by the seat of my pants. And I happen to bump into the editor Bill Roseman, who I've been talking to um, at a pre-party on like Thursday night, right after I, I, I land, wow. totally not expecting to, to, to bump into him. But, uh, we have like a very short, like 10 minute conversation. We said like, I think I have some good news for you. Um, but I'll let you know after the show. Um, so the rest of the show, you know, I see people, I have a good time hanging out. Uh, I wanted like the pressure of the show is gone cause... to some degree. I mean, it, there's still always the, 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 the desire to hustle, the desire to network and well, all that kind of right, stuff. Right, right. Yeah. But you know that you might have some good news. When exactly. You get home. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, it feels as like the job is already kind of done. The goal FaceTime, with the editor right. who can now give me the can, work. Now I can actually network from a position of calm and yeah. not desperation. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, I, I was still a little bit manic and and uh, and, and nervous, but that, that's just kind of my personality. Yeah. But uh, comparatively, like comparatively, like comparatively <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, And when I say you can network from a position of calm, it's like you're saying, 
from not from a totally right, position, right, right. But uh, the edges take off a little bit. Right, yeah. right. I'm not about to completely panic and and think I'm going to be homeless next week. Oh God, yeah. Um, and and uh, <laughs> was it this show? This is a different show. Anyways, uh, I had a hostel experience, which is a, a different um, H O S T E L experience. That was a different show. Anyways, so I get back to Austin, and um, sure enough, I, I end up getting the Secret Warriors gig, and this was. Uh, November 2011, and at the end of November, around Thanksgiving time, uh, my 10-year high school reunion in Houston was going on, and I skipped it to finish up this book. Um, and so I finished it like a day ahead um, and submitted the day of because well, I knew at least that much. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it went, went really well, and, and um, afterwards, uh, the book had been passed on to Lauren Sankovich, mm-hmm. um, and she and I you know, established a decent rapport. Um, yeah, and, Lauren's easy to get along. Oh, she's great. Yeah. yeah. And she, she and I are now pretty good friends. Um, yeah, I'm pretty good friends with Lauren too. But uh, she's like, oh, we know we'd love to work with you again, but we'll keep in touch. And I think I was also doing some Top Cow stuff at the time. Um, so this is, I, I think I did like, you know, like a, you know, a book and a half or two books that month. Um, but I put everything aside to finish the Marvel gig first. And um, I think around January of 20, maybe that was 2010. Yeah, that was 2010. So then January of 2011. Um, I get offered uh, Fantastic Four season one, which is one of their season one graphic novels. They kind of finished right. doing them now, I but it's a slew of, of OGNs they were doing. And that was all 2011. It was um, getting scripts uh, fairly regularly from um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, the writer, um, and doing top cast stuff on the side as well. So uh, even during this time, I was doing probably a book a month or a book and a half a month. Wow. Um, but really focusing on making sure my Marvel stuff's shown. Um, so you rose very fast to Ultimate Spider-Man, which is a very much a top tier book. Right. Do you, do you, why do you think that is? Is that because of how fast and, and the, the quality and speed together got you there? I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I can look at, I can look at it and maybe, you know, try to divine what, what the, what the formula was. Um, from my end, you know, experiencing it, I spent almost all of 2011 working on this book and, and the Top Cow stuff. And then I'd been lining up with Lauren another project. Lauren edited this book as well. Uh-huh. Um, I've been lining up this, uh, this other other book uh, with her. And then out of the blue, right towards the end of 2011, I get this email from Mark Panicia, um, the ultimate editor, uh-huh. saying, hey, we have a three-issue fill on Ultimate Spider-Man. I think you'd be a great job. Uh, it's, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis, as if I don't know that. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he, you know, he explains what the book is. And I'm like, I know I read the book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this book. <laughs> One of our best-selling comics. And uh, you know, he said he'd already talked about it with, with everybody, and so it's been basically been approved for me to jump from this other thing that was in the works. Uh-huh. Um, and I said, you know, of, of course I'd love to. I just want to make sure I squared away with Lauren. So I call her up, and she basically says, like, I'm going to kick you off this other book unless to make you take the right, ultimate. Right. This is the right move uh, to Lauren's do. Lauren's awesome. Um, and so, uh, I mean, as far as why, why, I don't know. Um I, I know at the very least, like I was saying earlier, I know I'm fast. I know I'm reliable. I'm sure that helps. I have a style that was fairly similar to Sarah Pichelli's. Right, I was just going to say so, that probably played a role too. I'm sure that played a role. But I mean, that, that did you feel the the gravity of, of going from what you were doing before to Ultimate Spider-Man? Like before you started taking, were you like, whoa, I'm, I'm stepping up. Big time. It was, it, I mean, it, it was a huge seismic shift. I mean, I was yeah. expecting, you know, I, I, okay, well, I saw the long road ahead uh-huh. and like, you know, trying to figure out how would you maneuver to get to the, to the top books? Everyone always wants to get to the top books and everyone yeah. wants to be, you know, the, 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 the big superstar. And, and I, I still have a long way to go to get there, but it, it, I, I saw a much longer path 
you know. Um, and next thing I knew, I was on Ultimate Spidey, and like, well, I'm going to blow this out of the fucking water. Yeah, right, it's it's. Right, well, I'm going right. to do the best that I can at the very least, because it was a, it was a three issue fill in. Right. Um, so I get the script, and um, I I pour myself into uh, my my pencil. I do. I, at the time, I was doing everything digitally, and I still do almost all my interiors digitally. Um, and when I work, my layouts tend to be, I tend to work layout and then get those approved. Then I, I go to the inks yes. and I kind of do like an intermediary, uh, intermediary tightening kind of penciling phase. That's exactly. And then I ink. That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, cause I mean, you're, you're doing the math up front. You're doing the layouts, yeah, all thinking, that math. you the know, layouts are the hard part. I mean, they really are. That's where the work is. That's where the comics are. And, uh, no, totally. And for, for this, I, I did all the layouts, but then I, I actually did the penciling stage as well. I made, I made my, my, my layouts really shine. I made them look good, making sure the storytelling was tight, mm-hmm. making sure they could see kind of what the finished image would look like, not just what That's the placement what I'm doing would be. right now. And, um, and they got back and they're really happy. And when I was submitting inked pages, uh, for it, uh, I got an email from, from, uh, from Brian Bendis who, I mean, he had said hello in an email right away. Right. Um, which I thought was really nice of him. He's, yeah, he, and, and what I learned about him is he's he's a really great collaborator. He's very open and generous oh, with good, his artists. Um, but uh, I got an email from him saying, uh, "I love the pages. I'm sitting here with Joey Q. He loves them too." And oh, I was wow. just like, "You know, giddy, giddy like a schoolgirl." <laughs> um, but at the end of drawing, that was issue number nine of, of Ultimate Spider-Man. And at the end of it, uh, I got an email from Mark saying, "Hey, you want to stay on for a few more issues?" Oh, so it's like awesome. I did it. Yeah, like I set, I set awesome. the goal and I got it. So and then I, I've been basically staying on the book ever and since. And that's hard work. I mean, that's just hard work. It's. I mean, it, it's. I'm on a. You know, I'm on a pretty tight monthly schedule for the book, and it, it's hard to do that when you're doing other things as well. But I find, Sarah, Sarah's not on that book at all anymore. No, she? she jumped on the Guardians, right? And right. I think, and she did like Spider Man. She's done a very various things. She's not quite monthly. Um, right. So like, uh, for everyone has their own schedule. So um, she came back for an arc, and then but I've done I think twenty twenty one issues now of Ultimate Spidey, as well as some all new X Men and some other stuff. Were you in Portland when you started Ultimate Spider Man, or is is your relationship with Brian what motivated the move to Portland? The latter. Um, so we were living in Austin still, and Tara was still working her 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 um, job, and uh, Brian and I, as we were working Ultimate Spidey, started to establish something of a relationship. It was still fairly. Um, it was an email relationship. It, right, right. A couple phone calls here and there. It wasn't super tight. But we, Tara and I had both had Wanderlust for a while. She was born and raised in Austin. And I had been in Texas since I was like seven. Mm-hmm. And um, we were both kind of like, well, before we start having kids and all that kind of shit, like we both had some Wanderlust, you know, we'd been, sure. been stuck around for a long time. So we started looking at, you know, well, my job is getting to the point now where if, if we play our finances carefully, we might be able to live just off this. Um, and she had tons of savings and stuff. And, uh, we were figuring out, well, maybe we can just move away for at least a couple of years just to experience it. Yeah, and if we and don't love should. it, we'll move back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we started kind of scouting out. We scouted out like LA, New York, Portland, and Seattle. We had, uh, you know, in California and LA, there's lots of work stuff. And if you want to go right. into like Hollywood where the real money is, you can, you know, do right. that. Um, New York, we kind of ruled out is just a little bit too manic for us. Uh, Seattle, we have some good close friends, but they're kind of separated. And, and Seattle's a kind of like a balkanized area anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but Portland, there's a huge comic community. And when I mentioned to um, to Brian that we were coming out to kind of scout out the city, we heard so many good things about it. It's like Austin, but, you know, it's like better weather, right, or, right. depending on what you like, I guess. Yeah, I was going to ask him about that, but go ahead. <laughs> um, and uh, he invited us to stay with him. And so uh, oh, wow. I was like, holy, holy shit, okay. Uh, 
And um, when we were there, we bonded a whole lot with his family. Um, he so ended up it being wasn't a really awkward cool like going out to stay with him. At it, it was weird in the sense, like, well, you know, we don't know each other that well, right? That's, yeah, that's why. Um, but we had met um, Matt and Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick mm-hmm. here at, at Heroes in, in 2012. I guess this was late 2012 when, when we were, this was right. all happening. Um, and they kind of vouched for us, honestly, based on Tara, because uh, I'm, I'm kind of a squirrely guy, or I can be, or I used to be. Um, but Tara is always just very charming. Everyone, everyone loves her. Right, um, right. And uh, so they, they vouched for us, basically. And um, so, you know, we, we stayed with, with the family, got along great with his family. They're, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and that kind of settled it for us. That and, and we just love the city. Um, it's beautiful. The parks are wonderful. Uh, and so, you know, we settled we're going to move to Portland. And um, around that same time, um, I think maybe we were just before that, I had signed my first contract with Marvel. And so around then was when Tara's like, you know, I, I'm getting to the point where I really hate my job. I, it's, I'm making it, she was crying every, every, you know, month. And it was just, it was, it was clear that it was no longer worth her, her doing that. Right, it's time and, to move on. And so I was like, you know what, fine. You should quit your job. You've sacrificed the last five years of your life to make my dream possible. At the very least, I can pay you back by not That's making awesome. you work this job. Um, and so we had to kind of jiggle our finances a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, we made it work and we moved to Portland and uh, we just bought a house. So we're sticking around. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you have to move while on Spider-Man? I was between issues, but one thing I found very, um, with my experience with Marvel and, and everyone has a different relationship with every different publisher. With me, I find if I communicate early enough, we can find a workaround. I, I think that's true of, of anybody. And so, um, you know, they, they, it was around, well, it wasn't quite around San Diego time, but similar to like around San Diego, people kind of get a couple extra weeks. And so uh, I knew I was going to be busy driving cross country during this week. And so they said, fine, here's an extra week for your schedule and, you know, we'll work around it. Awesome. So it worked out. So you're in Portland, you're happy? Love it. Um, it's been, like I said earlier, it's been crazy with all the change that's taking place. And I'm a guy who loves routines. All this change is stressful, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. all the benefits of, um, of living there uh, make it totally worthwhile. I mean, I love the city. I love the people. love the community. I have heard the the uh, that Portland and Austin are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, socially, it, are, are, do you... Is your life pretty much hanging around with comic people mainly? I would say so. I mean, um, I mean Tara, that, like Bendis and Fraction, people you've met through them and Kelly Sue. Yeah, um, and like you know, Mike, Mike Oming and Taki Soma, his wife, uh-huh. uh, and Tara and I have become a really tight. Okay. Um, we, we see the Bendises and and, and uh, the Defractions, as everyone calls them, um, pretty often. Greg Rucka. Um, I see some of the Periscope people. Okay. You know, cool. here and there. So it's a, I've always kind of been a bit, a bit of a social butterfly. And so there, there are different circles just because you different people hang out, sure, you sure. know? And, um, so, you know, I, I might see, um, you know, Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover one weekend, mm-hmm. Justin Weaver, you know, bouncing to every once in a while. So, uh, there are lots of people. Um, I, I love the idea of Portland. Oh yeah. I, I'm the type of person I have to have sun every day yeah. or I get really fucked up. Right. I guess that's not true of you. Well, it, this is the funny thing. We, we heard those horror stories and, and, and tar in particular, I think has a, a normally low vitamin D count. And so it's something that we were concerned about. Honestly, the winter was not bad at all. We, uh, now that it's sunny again, I, I realized just how gray it had gotten, yeah. but it wasn't this like miserable, like, you know, rain and dark gray skies, hundred percent, like every day for the most part during the winter, when, when that stuff happens, the clouds broke for at least part of the day. So you saw a blue sky, yeah, but yeah. I, I, it, it, it was gray in the sense that when I see, you know, a break in the clouds, I'm like, Oh, it's a sunny day. 
So, oh, okay. so y- your, your context changes a little bit. So it doesn't affect you too much. Like not, I'm the, not me, but I'm the type of person where I live in Atlanta where the sun is just a dominating force. Right. And I can tell by the way I wake up one morning if, if it's going to be cloudy and it's rarely cloudy. Right. And I'm just a slug for that day. When I was living in Austin, I noticed that a lot. Um, I, cause Austin, it's, it's, a, it's a sunny, sunny city. And I mean, uh, the heat w- was one of the big reasons why we left, but you know, yeah, summers yeah, I, are I get that. three months of hundred degree weather. Um, but I noticed on a gray day, I would really slow down. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I, I'm fairly adaptable, I guess, in the sense okay. that I, I, I was able to, um, to adjust, uh, to it. The one thing that was probably the bigger difference more than, than the, the cloudiness is, um, because we're so far North that, you know, the, in the winter, the days are really short and in the right, summer, you right. know, the sun's up until 10, yes. 10 at night. Oh my God. I couldn't so do that, that's a little bit weird, but, um, it, it really hasn't bothered me that much. Maybe I was also told though, this past winter was very mild. So maybe on a more oh, severe, okay. you know, winter, it'd be more Yeah, noticeable. I think I'd, I'd react like I'm good friends with Remender and I know when mm-hmm. he moved there, he completely, the depression just overwhelmed him. Yeah. And now he's in Southern California, much happier. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, all right. Uh, I think we covered everything. Yeah. Is there anything you, you were hoping to address or discuss? No, I mean, that's it. It's just, uh, you know, work, 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 stress, work. <laughs> the life of a cartoonist. <laughs> um, not that you need it, but do you want to plug anything, sites, Twitters, anything, sure. work, yeah. books? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm monthly working on Miles Morales, the ultimate Spider-Man uh, for the f- future. And that book's um, exciting. Hope everyone's reading it. Uh, I have a creator-owned book, The Joiners in 3D. It's been out for a few months. It's everywhere. You can buy comics. Um, so support creator-owned. Do you have a copy of that here? Um, I have. My wife has a copy. Okay, so that, yeah, that, bring well, it. that's something I remember seeing online, like really interested in oh, checking cheers. that out. And uh, then I'm on Tumblr, Twitter, all that. Just Google Dave Marquez and it pops up. So All right, cool. Well, thanks for doing this, Dave. Oh, thanks, man. All right. All right, we're not done yet. I, I, this, I, I did want to ask one, one yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, you discovered the podcast recently. Yeah. How did you discover it? So um, Declan Shalvey was in uh, the U.S. a few months ago, and we were, we were chatting. He was, he was up in Portland with Jordy, okay. and we are all hanging out at a pub, and um, he had mentioned, I can't remember what the context was, we were talking about him or Sean Mur- uh, Murphy or, or someone, and, and about uh, kind of like you know spilling guts, and how um, on, on this podcast in particular, that was, that was something that Declan hadn't really intended to or, or wanted to get into. I get that a lot. But, but, but he, fell, he fell, fell into doing that. And, um, and he encouraged me to listen to it because it was a good show. And uh, once I saw you know, the list of guys you had interviewed, I was like, oh, I love these guys. And I, I love, and I love like Mark Marin and that kind of stuff. And, right, I, and right. I love just hearing other people talk about the comics industry. It's something that I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks when I work. And, right. yeah, um, that's what I do. And I find, I mean, maybe it's not healthy to immerse myself so much in comics culture, but I find listening to interview podcasts one of my favorite things, comics specifically, because it's, I learn about the industry, I learn about the creators, and we can all be so isolated that yes. it's, it's nice to get a sense of community that you find with these. What podcast do you listen to? Oh, I mean, like Word Balloon, Let's let's Talk Comics, um, this one, um, uh, Hadeus Energy, which is a smaller po- comics one, which is fun. Uh, Warwick and Ajax, uh-huh. tons of comic ones. Uh, Mark Mayer, uh, you know, WTF, I, I yeah. kind of dip in and out of. I've li- like, on- I mean, honestly, that's why I'm doing this. Right. I've listened to every WTF, yeah. which got me into all I listen to are comedian driven podcasts. And I'm like, there's bits and pieces of everyone I listen to in, in what I do. Mm-hmm. It just got me thinking, but so, and then, and then you, so you listen to them yeah. and I guess you, you liked them. Oh yeah. You, you tweeted out 
um, something like it's it's therapy for comic well, artists. Th- this is the funny thing. So I mean, a support group. That's what you. Yeah, said. it was a support group for comics. Um, it's specifically the nature of, and this is kind of what Declan was getting at when he was talking about the podcast. It's it's people talking about. It's more than just you know uh, pimping your book, which right. th- there's there's a role for that, and, and it, it, I, yeah. I have no problem with it. But with these, you really do get into some of the um, idiosyncrasies, or just some of the stresses, the real life shit about comics. Right, and right. it's something that you know I've I've been so stressed out uh, over the past you know year because of all the lack of regularity. That w- hearing other people talk about the same thing, it's like yes, thank you. There's someone else you yeah, know experiencing this. Yeah, well, I mean, we sit alone, we work. I mean, it's like it's such a it's such a seclusive job. Oh, it's crazy. And I, what's funny is I was listening to one just a couple of weeks ago and I was having this thing where um, if, if I'm in the middle of workflow and I'm getting interrupted, it, it, it just triggers something. Well, that was where, probably me going off. About, and like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But go ahead. you were talking about the exact same thing. And like, and I stopped working for a second. I just listened to you talk about, I'm like, this is exactly what I've been experiencing for the past week where if I'm being, it's like, all I need to do is just focus for 10 minutes. When yeah. I finish this, then I can talk. Right. But <laughs> if I'm, if I'm not let, if I can't finish drawing this fucking face, I'm going to just tear someone apart. And, um, so it, it's things like that. It's hearing other people. Yeah. <sighs> The internet is, and Twitter and sp- specifically, kind of is comics like water cooler, where it's just where everyone kind of comes and chats. Sure, sure. But it's public, you know, and it, there's there isn't a lot of the intimate conversation you can have you know, over dinner or after drinks or whatever right, else. Right. Um, but I, I find this this uh, podcast in particular, it, it's it's getting to hear other people talk about the shit that I, that makes me realize I'm not alone. If yeah. That makes sense. All right. Well, good. I'm so. glad. And, and the reason I asked that question, and I think I'll be asking this more, is because I'm finding. Um, the podcast is reaching the the community in particular, their creative community mm. and people are coming to it now when I've got a, a small bank of episodes mm-hmm. and uh, the people I haven't met and they're responding to it and liking mm-hmm. it. And it's, I'm just curious to know what is it you're responding to yeah. and, and talk about that. So, um, but yeah, I mean my, my goal, well, not my goal. One of the things I had hoped in doing this was uh, I, like I know we all talk like tonight, you'll have a good conversation with someone at mm-hmm. a bar and, uh, but n- n- that conversation is probably one a lot of people are having mm-hmm. and aren't aware that we're all having this conversation right. and that we're all kind of, it, it's, it's a different lifestyle. And I know we talked about that in terms of the financial reality of it and trying to have a career in it, but even beyond that, it's a different lifestyle. I mean, we come to a, a convention you know, a bunch of times a year. And for a weekend, we, we don't, it, it's our social outlet. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you sound like you have a social life. Mm-hmm. At home. So it depends, depends on the week. For a comic book artist, you have a <laughs> sure, social life. Sure. No, like, whereas I have, you know, I have a wife and kids. So my social life is, you know, we're going to see how to train dragon too. Right. And we're, uh, you know, we're going to go out and grab a bite. Uh, but I never get to, not, not that I don't get to, I never choose to, you know, go out and get some drinks with my friends. Right. I just make that just something that I don't know why in my head I've made that something like that's that's not doable. Right. Yeah. I'm just I'm too focused on schedule work. I yeah. Think. Well, but, we, we got to prioritize. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so doing this, I hoped it could take our community of these, you know, conversations of people and bring them a little together. Yeah. So I think you're doing a great job. I like the support group thing you said. That that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, David. Thank you. You know, when you're telling a story, 
a, if you're lucky and you're amongst a group of people, not if you're lucky, I think the best stories tend to never end because the person tells this great story amongst a group of people. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's having a good time. And somewhere near the story, when they feel there's like a group, a group consciousness, they feel that, that there's a little lull maybe approaching. Someone says something that steers in another direction and you never had to finish that story. And everyone's like, that was a great fucking story. Sometimes when I'm telling a story, I find the end in it. I'm talking about when I'm talking here on the podcast or talking amongst friends and you find that good end as you're going. And sometimes you don't. I'm not I'm not sure that I had a great ending for that that last story, but it, it's a good one and I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast today with Dave Marquez. It was great getting to know him and I had a great conversation with him. Um it was nice and loose and easy and organic. And I could tell from the minute he walked in the room and we started talking, it was just like, this is going to be breezy. And we actually spent like a good hour after the podcast looking through a Bruce Tim book of uh, pinup girls. That is just, I can't stop looking at this thing. It's, it's the, my eyes have never seen such beautiful art ever. Anyways, that's it, guys and girls. And everyone listening? Oh, uh, I'm working on something exciting here. Uh, Arkham Manor is coming out this month, and I've been working really hard on that. And uh, I feel good about a lot of it, and for me, that's a lot. Uh, but I am... I'm working out right now. I'm talking to Robert Kelly. And yes, you know Robert Kelly. Don't act like you don't know Robert Kelly. Uh, Robert Kelly is a, a comedian and I, I think he's really one of the best out there. He, he cracks me up in his podcast. You know what, dude, which is just him and a bunch of comedians just talking and they just start railing on each other. And it's, it's really one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, he also played Louie's brother on the TV show, Louie. And if you remember the, the episode where they had the bang bang where they went from one restaurant to the other restaurant, that was Louie. Or if you remember previous seasons when they had met with the mom, that was Louie. That that was Bobby, bald guy. Um he's been a lot of TV stuff. Anyways, he gotten we got in touch with each other and we're trying to work out me getting on his podcast when I go up for New York Comic Con, which when this episode comes out will be like a, a week after this comes out. And if I do it, then there'll be a live video cast. I'll, I'll let everyone know. But this is really exciting for me because I get to be on a huge podcast. I mean, he's a big podcast, big one. Uh, and um, I get to be in a room full of comedians who are going to tear my ass apart, which I, I, I love. I love sitting in front row on a comedy show. I'm like chum. I'm like comedian chum. They just look at me and there's tons to work with. Anyways, I hope that happens. He happens to be a, um, I wouldn't say a diehard comic book fan, but he's a comic book fan and he really has an appreciation for the art form and, and the artist. So um, I'm hoping that works out. I'll keep you tuned up on that shit. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>